Let's pray uh, before we begin. God, we're opening your word uh, this morning. We are, um, we're listening, God, not just to words, not just to stories, but we're listening specifically for your Holy Spirit, uh, to listen for how the Spirit led these Christians of the past so that we might just discern how you may even be leading us right now. God, we're praying that as we read this timeless word, that it would be timely for us this morning. And we always pray, God, your will be done in our lives, in this, your church, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I have become quite taken with this uh, form of preaching where the text really reigns supreme and the commentary is a little bit more uh, minimized. Um, we often neglect the entire narrative of the Bible. We, we often neglect the, the whole thrust of it, the whole movement of the, the, the narrative, uh, because we focus on little bits and pieces here and there. And this, this larger reading of Scripture uh, just lends itself to a greater understanding of the movement of God in the Bible. We avoid the temptation of, of focusing on the little things that either fascinate us or bug us in the Bible and, and get into the whole narrative and get into the move of God. The book of Acts reveals the work of the Holy Spirit after Jesus died, rose, and ascended. It reveals the journeys of the earliest and most influential followers of Jesus. In our text today, uh, Acts 20 and 21. Paul follows the leading of the Spirit instead of the leading of his closest friends and followers. He follows the Holy Spirit instead of rules of self-preservation. Paul follows the Spirit into danger. This is Acts 20 through 21. With things back to normal, Paul called the disciples together and encouraged them to keep up the good work in Ephesus. Then saying his goodbyes, he left for Macedonia. Traveling through the country, passing from one gathering to another, he gave constant encouragement, lifting their spirits and charging them with fresh hope. Then he came to Greece and stayed on for three months. Just as he was about to set sail for Syria, the Jews cooked up a plot against him. So he went the other way, by land, back through Macedonia, and gave them the slip. His companions for the journey were Sopater, son of Pyrrhus, from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus, both Thessalonians, Gaius from Derby, Timothy, and the two from Western Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. They went on ahead and waited for us in Troas. Meanwhile, we stayed in Philippi for Passover week and then set sail. Within five days, we were again in Troas and stayed a week. We met on Sunday to worship and celebrate the Master's Supper. Paul addressed the congregation. Our plan was to leave first thing in the morning, but Paul talked on way past midnight. We were meeting in a well-lighted upper room. A young man named Eutychus was sitting in an open window. As Paul went on and on, Eutychus fell sound asleep. 
and toppled out of the third story window. When they picked him up, he was dead. Paul went down, stretched himself on him, and hugged him hard. No more crying, he said. There's life in him yet. Then Paul got up and served the master's supper and went on telling stories of the faith until dawn. On that note, they left, Paul going one way, the congregation the other, leading the boy off alive and full of life themselves. So is it stubbornness or passion that causes a teacher to keep on talking even after his long-windedness nearly kills someone? Or actually did kill him. I mean, this text is a little bit ambivalent whether he was lay there as though dead or whether he was really dead. He might have been actually dead and Paul embraced him and, and I heard one commentary say that he must have performed some sort of CPR on him. And I'm like, boy, that is a terrible idea because that didn't exist until then, you know, back then. It was, a, it was the spirit that would give him life, right? Uh, if it was so. Um, or maybe when Paul squeezed him hard, it was the first CPR. Who knows, right? Um, but what a strange story. What a strange man Paul was. A guy almost dies or dies and then rises because he's being so long-winded and then Paul just keeps on talking all the way until the sun rises the next morning. It's hard to know what to do with this episode. Uh, all week I've just been finding myself smiling about it and just kind of laughing about it. The thing that I personally get from it, and I'll be curious to hear what you think of it, is that I like the fact that Acts tells us the way things were. Tells us what actually happened. Good, bad, indifferent, strange, uh, marvelous, sad, happy, or just downright weird. Luke, the author of Acts, is faithful to just say, look, this, this is what happened. And this is how the people that were in the episode interpreted it. Odd stories like this one keep the narrative real for me and keep it easy to relate with. So let's keep reading. In the meantime, the rest of us had gone on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos. When we planned to pick up, where we planned to pick up Paul, Paul wanted to walk there and so had made these arrangements earlier. Things went according to plan. We met him in Assos took him on board and sailed to Mytilene. The next day we put in opposite Chios, Samos a day later, and then Miletus. Paul had decided to bypass Ephesus so that he wouldn't be held up in Asia province. He was in a hurry to get into Jerusalem in time for the Feast of Pentecost, if at all possible. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus for the leaders of the congregation. When they arrived, he said, you know that from day one of my arrival in Asia, I was with you totally, laying my life on the line, serving the master no matter what, putting up with no end of scheming by Jews who wanted to do me in. I didn't skimp or trim in any way. Every truth and encouragement that could have made a difference to you, you got. I taught you out in public, and I taught you in your homes urging Jews and Greeks alike to a radical life change before God 
and an equally radical trust in our master, Jesus. But there is another urgency before me now. I feel compelled to go to Jerusalem. I'm completely in the dark about what will happen when I get there. I do know that it won't be any picnic, for the Holy Spirit has let me know repeatedly and clearly that there are hard times and imprisonment ahead. But that matters little. What matters most to me is to finish what God started. The job the Master Jesus gave me of letting everyone I know, everyone I meet, know all about this incredibly extravagant generosity of God. And so this is goodbye. You're not going to see me again, nor I you. You whom I have gone among for so long, proclaiming the news of God's inaugurated kingdom. I've done my best for you, given you my all, held nothing back of God's will for you. Now it's up to you. Be on your toes, both for yourselves and your congregation of sheep. The Holy Spirit has put you in charge of these people. God's people they are, to guard and protect them. God himself thought they were worth dying for. I know that as soon as I am gone, vicious wolves are going to show up and rip into this flock. Men from your very own ranks, twisting words so as to seduce disciples into following them instead of Jesus. So stay awake and keep up your guard. Remember those three years I kept at it with you, never letting up, pouring my heart out with you, one after another. Now I'm turning you over to God, our marvelous God, whose gracious word can make you into what he wants you to be and give, give you everything you could possibly need in this community of holy friends. I've never, as you well know, had any taste for wealth or fashion. With these bare hands, I took care of my own basic needs and those who worked with me. In everything I've done, I have demonstrated to you how necessary it is to work on behalf of the weak and not exploit them. You'll not likely go wrong here if you keep remembering that our master said, you're far happier giving than getting. Then Paul went down on his knees all of them kneeling with him and prayed. And then a river of tears, much clinging to Paul, not wanting to let him go. They, they knew they would never see him again. He had told them quite plainly. The pain cut deep. Then bravely they walked him down to the ship. This episode and a couple that follow reveal the single-minded devotion that Paul had to God. When people, imagine this scene, when people, his friends, the people that he had worked with for years are, are, are clinging to him and weeping over his exit, urging him to stay, urging him don't go to Jerusalem. He still followed God away from them. And it wasn't that he was a heartless man. He felt the pressure. He felt the pain. He felt the pull and the sorrow. But deeper than all of these feelings and all of these pressures was his relationship with God and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the living God gave Paul direction for his life. 
And he followed, come what may, regardless of the pressures. He followed God into danger and out of danger. He followed when it made people happy and when it made people mad. He followed when it delighted people and he followed when it caused people great pain and sadness. I wonder if we realize the forces that are at work in our own lives. Oh, we are a very reserved people. Minnesotans are very um, low pressure when it comes to kneeling, clinging, and weeping, right? Uh, But there's pressures all around us. Your parents, your friends, your coworkers, they may not tell you exactly what they expect of you to your face bluntly, but you know. You are influenced. You are pressured. I wonder if we realize how, how abiding the pressures of, of this world are, the spirit of this age, the, the things we hear and see on television, in the, in the, on the internet, I wonder if we realize how pulled and pushed we are by the consumerism of this age, the me-ism of this age, the selfishness of this age. I hope that you know the soft, still voice of the Holy Spirit in this world, around you, and in your life. I hope you know the gentle nudges of the Holy Spirit and can discern the difference between those gentle nudges and the violent pushes and pulls, even if the violence is a passive-aggressive violence. I hope you know the confident command of God the Father over your life. And I hope you have the faith to follow And that if you don't have faith to follow, that you would boldly pray for faith because God will give it to you. We continue. And so with the tearful goodbyes behind us, we were on our way. We made a straight run to Kos. The next day reached Rhodes and then Patara. There we found a ship going direct to Phoenicia, got on board, and set sail. Cyprus came into view on our left, but as soon as it was out of sight, we kept on course for Syria and eventually docked in the port of Tyre. While the cargo was being unloaded, we looked up the local disciples and stayed with them for seven days. Their message to Paul from insight given from the Holy Spirit. Don't go to Jerusalem. When our time was up, they escorted us out of the city to the docks. Everything, everyone came along, men, women, children. They made a, a farewell party of the occasion. We all kneeled together on the beach and prayed. Then another round of saying goodbye. We climbed on board the ship while they drifted back to their homes. A short run from Tyre to Ptolemais completed the voyage. 
We greeted our Christian friends there and stayed with them a day. In the morning, we went on to Caesarea and stayed with Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. Philip had four virgin daughters who prophesied. After after several days of visiting, a prophet from Judea by the name of Agabus came down to see us. He went straight up to Paul, took Paul's belt, and in a dramatic gesture tied himself up, hands and feet. And he said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. The Jews in Jerusalem are going to tie up the man who owns this belt just like this and hand him over to godless unbelievers. When we heard that, we and everyone there that day begged Paul not to be stubborn and persist in going to Jerusalem. But Paul wouldn't budge. Why all this hysteria? Why do you insist on making a scene and making it even harder for me? You're looking at this backward. The issue in Jerusalem is not what they do to me whether arrest or murder, but what the master Jesus does through my obedience. Can't you see that? We saw that we weren't making even a dent in his resolve and gave up. It's in God's hands now, we said. Master, you handle it. Paul knowingly goes into a situation that is dangerous even deadly. The point of his life is not self-preservation and certainly not self-promotion. He wants to advance the mission of Christ, come what may. Our own obedience to Christ and his direction for our life must not be resisted because it is hard or painful or costly, or because it will result in personal loss. This life is not about us anymore. We have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us and through us. And this same Jesus who went resolutely to the cross will likely lead us down paths of voluntary loss. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus said, the way to gain your life is to lose your life. We should not fear, we should not pause, hesitate, or delay because the road ahead is one that is difficult, leads to sacrifice, or even loss. We continue. It wasn't long before we had our luggage together, and we're on our way to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and took us to the home of Nason, who received us warmly as his guests. A native of Cyprus, he had been among the earliest disciples. In Jerusalem, our friends, glad to see us, received us with open arms. The first thing next morning, we took Paul to see James. All the leaders of the church were there. After a time of greeting and small talk, Paul told the story, detail by detail, 
about what God had done among the non-Jewish people throughout his ministry. They listened with delight and gave God the glory. And they had a story to tell too. And just look at what's been happening here, they said. Thousands upon thousands of God-fearing Jews have become believers in Jesus. But there's also a problem because they are more zealous than ever in observing the laws of Moses. They've been told that you advise believing Jews who live surrounded by unbelieving outsiders to go light on Moses, telling them that they don't need to circumcise their children or keep up the old traditions. This isn't sitting at all well with them. We're worried about what will happen when they discover you're in town. There's bound to be trouble. So here's what we want you to do. There are four men from our company who have taken a vow involving ritual purification, but they have no money to pay the expenses. Join these men in their vows and pay their expenses. Then it will become obvious to everyone that there is nothing to the rumors going around about you and that you are, in fact, scrupulous in your reverence for the law of Moses. In asking you to do this, we're not going back on our agreement regarding non-Jews who have become believers. We continue to hold fast to what we wrote in that letter, namely, to be careful to to be careful not to get involved in activities connected with idols, to avoid serving food offensive to Jewish Christians, and to guard the morality of sex and marriage. So Paul did it. Took the men, joined them in their vows, and paid their way. The next day he went to the temple to make it official and stay there until the proper sacrifices had been offered and completed for each of them. When the seven days of their purification were nearly up, some Jews from around Ephesus spotted them in the temp- him in the temple. At once, they turned the place upside down. They grabbed Paul and started yelling at the top of their lungs, Help! You Israelites, help! This is the man who is going all over the world telling lies against us and our religion and this place. He's even brought Greeks in here and defiled this holy place. Then Luke adds, what had happened was that they had seen Paul and Trophimus, the Ephesian Greek, walking together in the city and had just assumed that he had also taken him into the temple and showed him around. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. People running from everywhere to the temple to get in on the action. They grabbed Paul, dragged him outside, and locked the temple gates so he couldn't get back in to gain sanctuary. As they were trying to kill him, word came to the captain of the guard. A riot. The whole city's boiling over. He acted swiftly. His soldiers and centurions ran to the scene at once. As soon as the mob saw the captain and his soldiers, they quit beating Paul. The captain came up and put Paul under arrest. He first ordered him handcuffed and then asked who he was and what he had done. All he got from the crowd were shouts, one yelling this, another that. 
It was impossible to tell one word from another in the mob hysteria, so the captain ordered Paul taken to the military barracks. But when they got into the temple steps, the mob became so violent that the soldiers had to carry Paul. As they carried him away, the crowd following shouted, Kill him! Kill him! When they got to the barracks and were about to go in, Paul said to the captain, Can I say something to you? And he answered, Oh, I didn't know you spoke Greek. I thought you were the Egyptian who not long ago started a riot here and then hid out in the desert with his 4,000 thugs. Paul said, No, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus. And I'm a citizen still of that influential city. I have a simple request. Let me speak to the crowd. Standing on the barrack steps, Paul turned and held his arms up. A a hush fell over the crowd as Paul began to speak. He spoke in Hebrew. And we'll hear what he says next week. (laughs) Sorry to leave you hanging, but Paul's speech goes long. And... You know, if I speak past midnight, you'll fall asleep and die. Mm. Look at the way Paul goes into Jerusalem. I think we can learn from this. The way Paul goes into Jerusalem. We've been saying all morning how he knows there's going to be trouble. He knows that by the Spirit that, that there's going to be trouble there. Even his friends have said, the Spirit of God has told us this, you're going to get in trouble in, in Jerusalem. And they assume that when they say, the Spirit of God has told us that you're going to get into trouble in Jerusalem, that Paul's going to interpret this and be like, oh, okay, so I probably shouldn't go to Jerusalem. But no, this just furthers his resolve. Yeah, the Spirit already told me I'm going to get into trouble. You're saying the Spirit's telling you that I'm going to get into trouble. I'm definitely going to get into trouble. So I'm definitely going to Jerusalem. And guess what? He gets into trouble. But I like that Paul didn't go in there looking for trouble. Right? I mean, he knew from all these sources and from God, the Spirit of God himself, that, that, that there was going to be trouble, but he didn't go and try to create trouble. He just went and, and did what God has always called him to do, to speak the truth, to be in community with, with the brothers and sisters there. He even followed this plan that the, the Christian leaders in Jerusalem cooked up for him. Uh, to, to take these, this vow, this seven-day Nazarite vow with the others, and, and if he's seen by the people that are against him following the Mosaic law, then certainly they won't be upset with him anymore. And, and you just as you're listening to this, you were like me, right, going, this is never going to work. But Paul did it anyway. He's like, I'm not trying to brew trouble, and if, if there's a way you know, that I can faithfully do what I'm supposed to do and try to avoid some trouble, that's fine. But trouble brewed anyways. The best laid plans to to keep him safe uh, get ignored by the people. So why does Paul get arrested? It's noted by Luke, but it's not easy to understand what's actually going on here. The Jews from Ephesus see him walking around the city with a Greek person, a person that's not Jewish. A guy from Ephesus. Excuse me. 
Is he from Ephesus? No. Yeah, in Ephesian Greek. There it is. Um, and so they just assumed when they saw Paul in the temple that he had brought his Greek friend into the temple as well. And you and I look at that and we say, well, so what? Who cares? We're supposed to bring our friends to church, right? Uh, well, that was a different age. And there were laws against bringing non-Jews into the temple courts. There was a court for the, the non-Jewish people, the Gentile courts. And they couldn't go past that gate. In fact, two of the actual notices that hung at the gate leading into the temple have been found. And both of them read the same way. No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the temple enclosure. And then listen to how pithy this is. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. <laughs> pretty blunt, pretty to the point. Don't enter here unless you're a Jew. We've seen how Paul was not swayed by people wanting to protect him. Good-minded, like logical people just wanting what's best for Paul. And, and Paul just basically says, I don't do that. I don't go after what's best for Paul. I go after what's best for, for God and, and the way God's spirit is leading me. I, I, in a sense, he's saying, I trust Christ. When he said, if you lay down your life, you'll get it back. And, and he experienced that in his life. The joy of following Christ, where Christ wanted him to go. We saw how self-preservation did not rule Paul's life as he goes willingly into a dangerous situation. In all of this, we're reminded to leave the results of our obedient words and actions to God. We are not in charge. We serve a master. We are not the ruler. God is. We obey God and entrust, and entrust the results of that obedience to him. Let's pray together, and then I'll look forward to hearing your thoughts and observations. Hmm. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would... Um, in this quiet moment, whisper and nudge. Whisper your words to us by your spirit. Nudge us by your spirit. Bring your gentle conviction. Reveal to us the ways we've been following. Even good-hearted people, people that love us, instead of following you. Reveal to us the way we have been following just the way the world is instead of following the way you are, God. Help us to change resolutely, Lord, to decide resolutely and take steps toward obedience to you.
And God, keep us returning over and over again to quiet and stillness. That we may hear your call and, ex- and know your nudges. that we may move with confidence where you want us to go and how you want us to go. We pray this in your name, Jesus, for your glory. Amen. And amen.